When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Dear Black Girl. I'm your host, Unique. You can follow me on Instagram at Unismiles, U-N-E-E Smiles. Or should I spell that out for you? U-N-E-E-S-M-I-L-E-S. Smiles, there we go. Uh, you can also follow the podcast on Instagram at Dear Black Girl Pod. Now, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, Dear Black Girl is a series where I invite black women to come on and tell their stories by putting together a playlist, and it's super dope. So if you like what you hear, hit that subscribe button, rate us, and also leave a comment. Let us know we pop in or not. I don't know. It's y'all opinion. Anyways, happy new year, guys. I still get to say that even though like we're a week and a half within a new year because it's my first time talking to you. So I hope you have a wonderful new year. Um, I hope that everything you wrote down for this year happens for you. So yeah, lessons, love, and positivity. <laughs> I just completely forgot what I was going to say. But anyway, today's episode, like all other episodes, is super dope. Today's guest is super sweet. I love her to death. She has an amazing aura. She's super dope and she popping, if you didn't know. So without further ado, Dear Black Girl Meet, Dr. Jessica Clemens, better known as Dr. Jess. How are you today? I'm excellent. Got a little cold, but beyond that, I'm great. I know we were talking about that <laughs> earlier, like how the weather's changing and how, oh my goodness, it's like the sick weather now. It is. But Feeling um, good. Feeling good. Yeah. So the guest died. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, yeah. So I um, am currently in my residency in psychiatry. Um, I'm an Alabama girl, so I'm from the South. Um, I came to New York City to do like med school and stay mm -hmm. for residency. Um, and I like definitely love it here. I never want to leave New York. Really? Never, ever, ever love it so much. Um, I got married a year ago, mm -hmm. so that's been exciting. Um, met him here in New York City too. So that Aww. maybe is why I'm like so in love, so with, in New love with New York. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, I'm just small town girl, always like dreamt about living literally in New York City. And so it's been really nice to have all these dreams happen right here. <laughs> so it's just incredible. So I remember reading um, you wanted to go to school to be a surgeon, but that changed. That changed while you were here, right? Yeah, it, it did. So, um, so in med school, you rotate through a number of different um, rotations. So you rotate through surgery, medicine, pediatrician, um, or pediatrics, sorry, um, psychiatry, all those other, all the all the specialties. And when I was rotating through surgery, I loved it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, like, this is something I want to do. I was really good at suturing and. Um, very visual and could like really look at what area of the body we were, you know, exploring or the surgeon was working on is as a medical student, they have you help, like you'll kind of, um, help to create like a visual, uh, area for the doctor that's doing the surgery. So anyhow, I loved it, thought I was going to do that. Um, but then on my psychiatry rotation, I fell in love with it when I saw a person who was so depressed that they couldn't move. 
um, and that's called catatonia. And when we treated him with ECT, he suddenly was like up walking around talking. And I realized like, this is something that maybe I'm called to do. So mm-hmm. it really was a calling because I definitely did not think I'd be a psychiatrist. <laughs> um, but I'm really happy I chose it. How difficult was medical school, medical school for you? Because I know like one of my best friends, she's in medical school right now. She just got engaged. Uh. And oh my God, she is stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to know, like, what was that experience like for you when you were going through all this and then you got engaged and you're planning your your wedding and everything? Yeah. So med school is really, really hard Um, in terms of the content, like how much material you're learning. They always use this um, analogy of like drinking from a fire hydrant. It's just coming at you and you're just trying to catch whatever you you can. So that alone is very stressful. Um, I've talked about spiritually how it's just really you know, it shakes you up a bit. Like, you know, you go into med school being one of the smartest people in like all of your academic career, you know, mm-hmm. you killed it in high school, college, you made all, you know, the exams that you needed to take to get in med school. And then when you get there, you're in a sea of other brilliant minds too. So spiritually, you have to start to learn other parts of yourself that make you feel good because it's always been you're smart, right? So that was incredibly hard and not to mention the hours like for OB we were doing 24 hour shifts and I was a med student so it was it was crazy um luckily for me though I got engaged in residency so it was more Uh like a job but uh I mean if you have someone in your life that can be a part of that journey I think that's also really important like my husband was in my life during med school and that helped me a lot just keeping me focused on like what's really going on in the world Mm -hmm. you know so good luck to your friend. Let's get into your songs with song number five. Um, I guess since I've been starting off talking about my hubby, um, Amory's Why Don't We Fall in Love? So, okay, so basically it's one of his favorite songs in terms of summertime. Mm-hmm. And when we listen to that song, it makes us think about the summer. And that's like when we like met. met And when we fell in love, literally. So every time I hear that song, it makes me think about just us like walking. We spent like one of our like first dates that I really, really remember. And I hope he's okay with me like talking about this everywhere, but it's fine. Um, We were, we started walking, I think the Brooklyn Bridge. So we like walked that. We just end up like spending the whole day walking through all these different parts of the city. And then we like came back. Um, like through Brooklyn and then we ended up like crossing the bridge again. So anyways, we just like were so caught up in this day and it really just made me like realize how exciting New York is and also just like you can literally just fall in love by just like just walking this place and seeing all the people and stopping. So anyhow, that song makes me think about the summer that we like met and fell in love and then it's his favorite song because that that's like a movie because when people come to new york they have like this movie i say they have like this movie idea of how their life's gonna be they're gonna get their dream job they're gonna fall in love it's not how they don't work that way for everybody yeah but i'm so happy it worked that way for you (laughs) (laughs) well i think i think it can i mean i think for people um, it's important to keep your eyes open, mm-hmm. right? So, like, you know, my meeting him, it didn't happen in the most, like, conventional way. Um, but just having my eyes open to it and even that type of date. Like, some people get so caught up in, like, I need to be at, like, STK for my first date. And you had that $200 date yeah. versus walking around. Walking around um, New York as a date is actually a really fun day. It was so fun. We, yes. t- we stopped and took pictures, and we have all these, like, photos from that day. 
And you know, those other dates, they come, but like that was when you really get to know. Because all you the have person. to do is to talk. Like there's no distraction. Yes. You can people watch, you find out each other's like humor and all that. Those are like the perfect dates. It was perfect. And it was like, again, like I was new to New York and so was he. So we were both just exploring it together. So what was your first year like in New York? Oh my gosh. So it was, um, it was tough because, you know, I was starting med school, mm-hmm. um, but I had a lot of fun. Like <laughs> I, I did, I've always wanted to live in New York. So, um, I just, I got the most out of it. Like I had friends, we would go to hang out like in meatpacking all the time. Um, there was this woman who would work one of the, um, like at the front desk in the dorm, like in med school, they had a dorm that we stayed in and I would come in so late and she would just be like, <laughs> you know you have class in the morning? And I'm like, yes, I know I have class in the morning. I've got this. (laughs) So I just had a blast. I had a blast. Um, Met some incredible people. I came with the intent, though. I I really was like, God, I need this to be, like, worth it. I need to grow, and I want to meet really exciting people. So I feel like he's granted me that for sure when I reflect over these last eight years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because— You spent your entire life in Alabama, right? Even college? College, I I was there. We were military. So my dad was in the Army, and we we moved around a lot. So we lived, like, in Germany and Michigan. But um, for my, like, yeah, my childhood was spent in Alabama. But my parents are from Detroit, so they had a little (laughs) bit of an edge. They were not, like, super, you know, Southern and, you know, that, like, Southern charm, sweetness. I think that people think, I mean, obviously they're kind people, but they're from Detroit. Yeah, they still had, like, that... City, city life, life yeah but it's lived in the south exactly so what was it like traveling around like have been in the military family and being a military brat um it was it was really i think it made me resilient so um we always had to be kind of ready to pack up and leave um i, I mean we moved a lot when i was like and before we really settled into elementary school i just remember having friends and always like worrying that you know, it'd be coming to an end Mm -hmm. and that would happen. Um, But it just over time made me like able to make new friends quickly. But I always kind of have in the back of my mind, like we'll be leaving soon. Part of the reason why my parents decided um, at some point, like early that we weren't going to be moving much. So my dad would do some of those like tours is what they call it in the military. He would do that without us, which was sad and tough because he wasn't there. But um, I think it helped us to get like grounded into one place. I'm glad they made that choice. Because I feel like to uproot and move around all that time, like you don't really get to like create those everlasting memories in those long places. It's just like, I'm always a new person. But I think we weren't even a military family. My mom just had me in a different school up until seventh grade. Oh my god! Every year, and I'm just like, oh my god, it's so hard. But it worked out in my favor when I got to high school because everyone I went to elementary school, they all went to the same Catholic high school as me, and I was like, oh snap! Look at the universe. I can see you guys all over again. <laughs> Full circle. That's how it works. Yes. Yeah, song number four. Um, the fourth song. Oh, Mad. Solange is mad. Um, so that album. A Seat at the Table, I think, was one of the most incredible albums of our time, mm-hmm. and especially um, for Black women. That song, for me, was just very poignant, right? I just I remember my mom telling me um, once when I was like, Mom, you're so strong. And she's like, do you think I always want to be strong? Right? So, like, it, I don't know, Mad to me just really describes the experience of Black women um, you know, we're labeled as strong, we're labeled as mad, 
but the way that she sung that song in a way that was so like soft, soft gentle, right? It's like even through your anger, it doesn't have to be rageful. You don't have to be like yelling and screaming, but it can be in this like beautiful way where you can still emote it, but also remember that like that's not who you are. Um so I listened to that song and it literally, I listen to it if I'm feeling really upset about something just to remi- remind myself like. It's okay to be upset. Yes. But don't forget like, where'd your love go? You know, and it even ties in with sometimes, I mean, I always close with reminding people that they're not their pain. Like you are not your pain, you are love. Because I think this pain and hurt and it boils over into anger. And then before you know it, that's who you think you are, but it's not. And so Solange in that album, I mean, that song, entire album, just reminding us of like all these things we are. It's just beautiful. Why do you think people let their pain like boil over into like anger and all that and make it become them? I think it's just hard. I think, um, you know, so as a psychiatrist, I, um, you know, I do therapy with with patients, with people. Um I think it's one of those, I think it's a defense. So I don't think people realize that that's how they are. Protecting uh, themselves. Yep, exactly. I think it's something that they don't really realize, right? It's easier for us to be upset with someone um, than to forgive them, right? It's easier to be like, you know, all these things happen to me. And so therefore I shouldn't expect anything else to happen in my life. Um, It's not easy to say, well, maybe someone hurt me and I you know, I need to change or I need to learn more about why that hurt me. I don't want it to change. It's just, that takes a lot more effort. Um, I just think it's easier. I think it's so much easier just to do that and let it keep building. And and before you know it, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You're, you're expecting the world to treat you badly and it does. That's why they always say the power of your words and to like speak positivity because negative things always happen when you speak negative. Exactly. It does. I mean, you have to think about, um, you know, what you are, what you're essentially saying is also reflection of what you're thinking, um, what you're feeling. And I, I do believe like the power of the tongue. I believe that you have to be very receptive about what you're saying. You know, I go back to what we just said in the beginning, moving here is like, God, this has to be like the, I need this to be like a big deal. Me moving to New York city mm-hmm. and here's what I want. That's what you get. But if you're not careful, if you're just saying these negative, hurtful things, that's just going to keep coming back. And people can feel it. Like You can feel when people are like yeah. badly hurt. The aura is there. Yeah. You know, you're like, I don't really want to be around this person or just you can just feel it. So that's why I tell people to get into therapy. <laughs> so you can start to unpack it. Just let it go. Yeah. So, OK. So one thing I want to know, like, I know you went to Tuskegee, which is a historically black college what was it like going to cornell like going from being in a place where you saw people that looked like you all the time to a place where you're just like yeah black face in a white space um it was hard it was um a culture shock because mind you i was um in my like early mid-20s when I started med school. So my whole life, I was accustomed to just being around people who either looked like me or if they didn't, had the same kind of cultural experience. Like in the South where I grew up, it was pretty diverse, but they all listened to the same music I was listening to. You know, I was a cheerleader, had like, a, you know, all the, the my, my teammates were white. It was maybe a couple of us that were black, but we all listened to the, we were just like all experiencing things as, you know, similarly. Um, and then Tuskegee was just like, 
black people. I get to be known as like the nerd that you want to kind of sit close to during tests, like just like <laughs> great, like just it was totally different. Um, and then when I came to Cornell, everyone was great. Like it wasn't something that I think people realize, but not only was it like a racial difference, but just socioeconomic. So I think a lot of my classmates came from like certain backgrounds where they all went to like Ivy leagues or Mm -hmm. trained at institutions, you know, that were not in the South. So that was just something that was really hard for me to overcome. Um, and over time, like I did, I actually developed anxiety, um, for the first time because I was really just like feeling so out of place, questioning every single thing that I was thinking. And, um, so it was, it was really, really hard. It was so hard. So how did you battle that anxiety? Um, um, I ended up, okay. So what I, so got into, when I got into residency in psychiatry, um, I was still dealing with it there, like having heart palpitations, which is like when you feel your heart fluttering a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And like you're just shaking and everything. Like, yeah, yeah. And it would come out of nowhere. Um, and I was talking to some of my co-residents and they were like, you should just get in therapy. I'm like, uh, no, I'm not going to be, I'm the therapist. I'm not going to be there in therapy, but, um, I really like, I listened to their advice and I'm glad I did it. So I just got into therapy and started to unpack some of these things that, um, you know, I started to reflect on like, why did I develop anxiety in med school? A, there were a lot of stressful factors. The first time I felt kind of othered and just anyhow, spending time in therapy to learn more about it. And it really did help. Like, I don't have heart palpitations anymore, (laughs) which is nice. Um, But it really just took, like, work, like, self-work, like, doing the work internally. Song number three. Um, Since you mentioned Tuskegee, uh, DJ Yola ain't gonna let up. So... (laughs) definitely please go play this song. Right? I was listening to this when Christina sent me everything and I was just like, oh, this reminds me of like my own playlist. It goes from like R&B to Ratchet real quick. Ratchet, <laughs> yes. So the reason I love this song is it's like the, it's the unofficial anthem for Tuskegee. Mm-hmm. So like this song, the lyrics are just like, uplifting right he's like i ain't gonna let up no i ain't gonna shut up something i'm never gonna let these haters get to me so it's just like i remember this song um in college and i just went to homecoming this year i mean i go every year but this was like homecoming just really just happened recently and we were at an alumni party and they played this song and you could see all the years everybody was just like in their (laughs) bag just like And it reminded me of, like, this is who I am. Like, yes, I'm in New York now. You know, I'm a psychiatrist. I went to Cornell. But, like, I'm from the South. And when (laughs) we hear this song and it's ratchet, we go crazy. But it's also really important that the lyrics for this are just, like, it makes me feel big. You know, Mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to let up. And I'm not going to let these haters get to me. Oh, no, no. That's exactly what the lyrics are. I'm hoping anybody... Go play this song right now. Just trust me. You may not you may not have heard it before, but once you hear it, it's going to be like... So what are some of the greatest lessons you've learned going to HBCU? Because I know, like, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to go. You're going to be too. So. <laughs> Sad. Yes. So what are, like, some great lessons you've learned there? Um, self-confidence, I think, is one of the biggest things I've learned there. Again, because you're in a pool with people who all really look like you. Um, And so for some people, you can kind of fall into the background. Mm -hmm. But I think 
it also just teaches you to really start to like learn those other parts of yourself. Like I was talking about that people may struggle in med med school with, right. Learning that you're not just one thing. Um, and so that self-confidence really, um, is one of the big lessons I learned there. Pride, you know, having pride in like our culture, our background, things that just make us who we are being able to like listen to a ratchet song, but also like go to school on a campus that was founded by, you know, a black man um, at a time where people could not people, you know, black people couldn't even go to uh, majority institutions and it was private and it still has like a historic site there. Just seeing like you, you, the pride in like you getting to decide what's important to you and kind of just seeing all of the like beauty of like blackness. Um, and also just how to like be able to, roll with things because Tuskegee was in the country <laughs> things weren't always working I remember like Armstrong Hall that's where I like learn biology sometimes those Bunsen burners wouldn't light so we like asked the smoker in the class to, like <laughs> give us a lighter like just learning how to like make things work also mm-hmm. right and I think that's beautiful too we just have to put things together side note when you said Armstrong Hall that reminded me of like dear white people I'm sorry yeah <laughs> Because <laughs> that was the name of the school in Dear White People. It was. <laughs> Ours wasn't quite like that, though. <laughs> so what made you start your VWL conversations? Oh, my gosh. So it started um, around the time. So, like, I had been getting closer with Neelam. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's Neelam on Instagram. Everyone knows her, um, you know, through her rap. And um, so she was planning to come up for Afropunk and I was like, I really want to do this panel with you. Um, and she was like, sure. And it just, from the conversations we've had with her, um, it kind of evolved into like literally a conversation series. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I'm very into kind of paying attention to what you say and like how that resonates. So be well, is just kind of a short thing just to, if you hear it, you know, I, I imagine it just makes you think about what can I do to just keep myself well. So using that word is just kind of, again, those two words as a way to just kind of keep that moving forward. Um, and it's just really important for me to inspire other people. I realize that's a part of what my purpose is. So the conversation is to do that, inspire the audience, and then obviously to normalize conversations about mental health using like incredible people who have huge followings and like platforms and they're using it for good. Yes. Did you expect it to get like so big so fast? I did not. I think, um, I, I mean, that's how this whole thing has been. Honestly, uh, you know, social media for me was just kind of an outlet and even like ask Dr. Jess coming up from like, it just feels like it just evolved all very quickly. So I believe mm-hmm. it's because of the, what I asked God in the beginning when I moved here. But um, no, I didn't expect it to move so fast. Met some incredible people. You, <laughs> you know, like I've been able to work with some incredible women, Jazz, Christina, Ashley. These are like powerful women that are using their talents to really just keep this brand moving forward. And I definitely couldn't have done it without without them. So it's just really dope to have this like, girl-driven, you know, team, and we're unstoppable. Yes. I mean, January is going to be popping. Yes. I cannot wait to reveal who we're going to have in January. <laughs> also, um, I know you do your your live sessions. Why you, why you start those? That I started, again, um, just, like, playing around on social media. Um, 
realizing, you know, people, people DM me. So people would DM like, oh, I'm dealing with anxiety. Do you have advice? And I realized like, what would happen if I just kind of sat on, you know, IG live for like 30 minutes and talked about this. And so I put up a post one day and I asked people, would you watch? And they like voted yes. And then I put some times and they picked like a Saturday. And when I, when I first did it, it was like 200 people just sitting in there. And that was like, I didn't have that many followers. Um, and it just kept going. So I realized it's almost like, um, Mr. Rogers, you know how Mm -hmm. like he was someone you could count on every week. I've kind of feel like that. Like I need to make sure that I'm available every week for not only the purposes of just helping people, but like they start to rely on you. Yeah. Um, And in therapy, like you're expected to be available every single week for your patients. It's just something very safe about it. So that's how it started. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Song number two. Let's see. Oh, Stevie Wonder as um, I grew up listening to a lot of music in my household. My father had like the pioneer speakers and like he would play records all the time. So I grew up in a house that had a lot of music. I played a musical instrument. Wait, which um, one? Alto sax. Okay. I've tried to play the saxophone. It was kind of hard. I couldn't, my mom couldn't find a saxophone that, I don't know, that fit me. And I would be in the class, like, without a saxophone, just for <laughs> some <laughs> It was sad. <laughs> it's pretty heavy, though. Yeah. Saxophones are heavy. Yes. I think I did it because my mom was like, you should play the clarinet or flute. And I was just like, no, I want the saxophone. <laughs> and my dad was like, let her play the saxophone. My mom hated it. Why? I think she just, it was too expensive too. Okay. It's, you know, it's not yeah. a cheap instrument. Yeah, it's super expensive. It like we would go to thrift shops just trying to find different ones. And it's just like, it doesn't sound right. It sounds out of tune. And yeah. Yep. It's expensive. So you end up, you have to end up like purchasing one through like the band, like, you know, whatever, whoever they use to like get instruments. So yeah. How long did you use play the saxophone for? I played it for like seven, eight years. Yeah, I stopped because in college there was nowhere to practice, and mm-hmm. I wasn't in I, I wasn't in the band as I never marched. I did concert band because I cheered, so <laughs> I was like, "There's no way I'm gonna march in a band." Like, so I just stopped. Um, but I still have it. Maybe I should play it. <laughs> All right. So, what else about Stevie Wonder's ass? Um, that song makes me cry, no matter what. Wherever I am, I hear it. It's it. I think it's like nine minutes long. It's a really long song, um, and it makes me think about my family. It just makes me think about how beautiful life is. And so, because music is so powerful, I'm very intentional about what I listen to. And that song, Stevie Wonder's ability to be able to describe a scene that's just like flowers and birds it just you can't listen to that song and have a heart and not like escape to a place that's just perfect so for me when I hear that I can just picture like all of my family those alive and you know on to you know the next life they're in the room and we're just as for nine (laughs) minutes I would be on the train crying and I'm probably listening to that song Oh, has anyone like looked at you while you cried on the train? Girl, I just had my eyes closed. Like, <laughs> I don't even care. I'm getting this in. We're on the train. Everybody mind your business. <laughs> I'm sure they do. Nobody's ever stopped me, but you know, I, I'm a cute crier. I don't, you know, I don't like sob with it. I just, it's just it like, you're just there and like the tears just like, yeah, you know, you're realized. You're just like, oh, snap. <laughs> and I mean, and that song it keeps going up, up, you know, like he starts at one octave and, he just like keeps moving and adding elements, so it just it just moves my spirit. Yeah, when I was listening to it, I was like, "Oh, this is such a 
Happy songs. So happy. I love happy songs. Me too. I mean, music is powerful. You got to be careful to what you listen to. Yeah. Seriously. I forgot what I was watching, but uh, I don't know. It might have been a class. But basically, they were telling us, like, um, let's say someone's committed a crime. Girl, listen to a song before that, and that's what amps them up. And it's like maybe the lyrics, this and the other. And it's just like music drives people to do certain things. And it's so scary. It does. It does. I mean, I, I won't reveal too many details, but I've taken care of someone who shared that the music that they were listening to really carried their emotions that they were feeling so much so that they found themselves um, attempting to like kill themselves. And not the the music didn't do it, but it it's just stirred like, up. Because I feel like that's what's happening now. Because like you have all these kids that are um, super depressed, and all the music that's out is depressing, and it's just like they're taking drugs to get away from like that feel, and they're listening to music to help them go be numb, and the music's numbing now, and that's like why there's so many depressed kids. Yes, because there's no, there's not that much happy music right now. Exactly, or or just like you know, music that makes you reflect on things in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. You really have to be cognizant of what you're listening to. You know, it can, it can make you. You know, <laughs> I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about. Sorry, I'm thinking about um, Cardi B's song. Where I can't remember, but like I'm in a happy relationship. But I know when I play that oh, song, be careful. Yes, I'm like, <laughs> you better get all of this. My husband's like, what are you talking about? Like it. Music, before you know it, I'm ready to beef out with him just oh because that God. song. <laughs> no, I'm going to make you take all of this. Yes. In that the song white does dress that. with the that's microphone. You can be in the happiest relationship and depending on what you're listening to, it's just like, nah, I feel her pain. I feel I'm it. I'm not going through it, but I feel it. I feel it. And then like, um, what's one song? If I'm down, I'll put in, was Beyonce, Don't Hurt Yourself. That oh, makes yes. me feel like the shit. Just, yes. That just makes you feel like the shit. That's all. It's that. And yeah, be careful. Yeah. Be careful. Those two together help me out a lot. <laughs> the world better watch out. No, that's exactly. I mean, and, and to your point, it's just like, that's why people have to be aware. Yes. You know, of what you're taking in. Because it will have an impact on your day. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I wish these kids had at least were interested in listening to, to music that expands. But, you know, that's why I hope when I have kids one day, I'm going to get keep exp- exposing them to all types of music. Mm-hmm. You know, as I think like that's the reason I listen to a lot of old music now, because my dad was playing that when I was a kid. But I always find it weird because like they have access to so much more music, but they don't listen to it. They listen to like the same repetitive stuff. I know. But there's, like, so much music. Like, there's too much music out right now. They have (laughs) access to too much music. Like, it's overwhelming. Like, there's new music every day. It's too much. But they all just gravitate to the sound versus that stuff. But it is, I think you're right. It's also a reflection of the time, reflection of, like, um, you know, I think they are, I mean, I'm not quoting any, like, uh, giving any statistics, but, you know, young people are experiencing depression and anxiety. We know the suicide rates are higher than they have been um, in decades, according to the CDC and young people. So, you know, I would say that they probably are experiencing more depression or helplessness. That's also a risk factor for suicide. But, you know, I wonder if that's why they're drawn to that, that music. Um, And also it's just like, if if that's all that we're putting out there, I think, you know, we were lucky um, that we had, you know, a lot of different types of music so we could play into whatever mood we were in. But now if there's only like one. There's like one sound. I think it's because it's one sound that's making money. That's the stuff that's in the mainstream. Yep. 
And that's the stuff that everyone's listening to. So sad. It's tough. Yeah. It's tough. <laughs> Song number one. So I'm a huge Frank Ocean fan. Um, and so I picked Sweet Life. Channel Orange was like, I think his best album. It is. It literally was so good. He, on that album, he, um, I don't know if people realize, but he, for every positive song, there was a negative song, mm -hmm. right? So like, um, Sweet Life and then Super Rich Kids, right? He like flipped every track like that. Um, Pilot Jones and then I can't remember Crack Rock, right? Pilot Jones is like this this woman that um, a person is in love with who gets high all the time, but like, you know, it's very like, you could see it's a love story. Crack Rock is like the down and the dirty. I would have to skip that song. It was so raw. But for me, Sweet Life, just going back to being very intentional about what I'm putting in my, like, in my ears through music and what I'm, like, setting intentions for, Sweet Life is just, I imagine this, this, like, black girl living near a beach and she's just got the sweet life, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, her parents are stable. They're, you know, have obviously enough money where they can live close to an ocean. Um, I don't imagine them to be, like, super wealthy per se, but they're, they're comfortable. And I just can hear the ocean and the way he's singing it. I'm, I'm sure that's what he wants us to feel. Like it's a beautiful story because then on the flip side. Oh, yeah. Right? So I used to love super rich kid, but like when you dive into it, it's like parents are never there acting out, crashing, just reckless, like super reckless. rich kid. That's just reckless. That doesn't understand consequences and you know the guy falls from the roof yeah because like they they say a part where he like grabs or something or laughs and touches or pushes them or something like playing and they really fall that's like <laughs> genius frank ocean is a genius so it for is. me sweet life no i remember when that um, song first came out what was it maybe like 2011 when the album came out and all the guys loved forrest gump and this yes. is like when they found out that Frank Ocean was gay and they were just like, wait, Forrest Gump was about a guy? <laughs> <laughs> like, all, oh my God, all my male friends were so, they were just so traumatized. It was just like, but we love that song. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they should unpack that in therapy. I know. But, but he kept saying, anyway. because he says a guy, doesn't he say that? Yeah, I was like, but he says, he, he's saying Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump yeah. is a guy. Like, how did y'all not get that? Guys are not that smart. I don't know that, <laughs> but that that album was serious. Um, Pink and Blue. I mean, I could keep naming songs. Oh that, yeah, um, what Pink Matter? Pink Matter. Yes. Sorry, not Pink and Blue. That's Outcast. But you know, Andre Three Thousand. Pink Matter. Like that's one of my favorite ones up there. Yes. Yeah. I mean, just that song and how. Even, like, his his ability to kind of be, like, uh, aware of, like, the complexity of what it means to be a woman. Is she just the container for the child? And, like, that's it's so perfect. poetic. Yeah. What do you want your legacy to be? Um, That's a great question. I think the first thought that came to my mind is, I guess I want people to remember me as someone who, like, lived in a compassionate way. Um, you know, I think that's why you know, I'm doing this work on social media, even be well, all, all this is really about trying to help alleviate suffering for other people. The work I do with taking care of people who are, you know, in the depths of depression, substance use, I'm just trying to help alleviate it. Um, so that's what I would want to be re like, you know, thought of as or reflected it as, um, yeah. <laughs> 
So I think I was having this conversation with my friend last night. It's just like trying to, when you're going through your career, you're just trying to figure out what the purpose of everything is. And if you're like doing it to help others or not, or it's just like self, I don't know, self gain. What's advice you would give to people that are trying to like figure out if it's like for self gain or if it's for to help build other people up? Um, so I guess like, like in terms of helping them find their purpose, yeah, I would say follow your heart. I mean, it sounds really cliche. I think obviously if you've been dealing with a lot of very painful experiences and you, you know, don't feel that great about yourself or the world, then you should do the work, which involves going to therapy, um, because that's not who you are. That's what I would tell the person. I think that we are born with a compass inside of us and, you know, if we're lucky, we can find it or be able to follow it. Mm -hmm. And so when I say follow your heart, I mean, follow your compass. What I'm doing now is literally just like walking in a purpose that I didn't set out for. Right. But I know that when I was able to do the work and get back to love that little girl that like, I always want to be a doctor, like that, that little pure person. I feel like that's how I'm able to do these things and how things are expanding the way they are, because I'm not, I'm literally following my heart. Um, And that's the advice I would give. And also don't believe that helping other people means that you also can't gain. You know, like I tell people, I'm like, look, I know that um, especially people of color, we want to help. And we think that we don't need the money to do that. But you have a team. I have a team. You know, we all need to be able to pay our rent and live. So having self-gain can also still mean that you can help people. Right. Because you got to have. You have to make sure you're, like, in the right state of mind. Exactly, right? So I think um, follow your heart, and if the checks are coming, that's okay. (laughs) Take them, right? You You can expand, you know, like, being able to hire people or being able to donate, right? So before we go, you have to give us a Dear Black Girl open letter. Dear Black Girl, you are destined to be whatever it is that you have on your heart and mind. Just go. Signed, Dr. Jess.